got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. Yeah. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast for Closers. It's a special episode. Everyone's remote today. Uh, my name's Kevin Hill. I'm your host, and my special go host again this week is Blythe Brumley from Digital Dispatch and Freight School Playbook. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm just really happy that my internet feed doesn't have to go against the in-studio crystal clear broadcast feed that we've been experiencing over the last month. I know. So I, my feed is the worst now. Yours looks much <laughs> the better than my I, I know. I, I usually, whenever I do these things remote, I will have my iPhone, which has a great camera. Great audio. I can use these with it, you know, my my uh, my iPods and or my AirPods, and it, it's it's really great. But for some reason, it's it's not working out. So I'm on my webcam uh, today, but uh, we're gonna power through it because we have an excellent excellent show for you today, all about email campaigns, email sequencing. You know, kind of what your goal, your strategy is, planning you know, setting those out, your objectives, and then selecting a sequence that matches that. I, I think too, with, with this time of the year, it's a good time to reevaluate all of the campaigns that you're sending out, things you want to experiment with. And I think that that's, you know, a, a few of those different campaign styles are what we're going to, what we're going to dive into today. Yeah, we definitely do. And you make a really good point. I mean, it's the new year. It's, it's time to reevaluate those. I just brought mine up yesterday and I was looking through that and there's some dated information on there because I have, and we'll get into it here in a few minutes, but I have like six months worth of automation. Whenever you sign up for a sample or a demo on Carrier List, you have about six months worth of emails that are that I've built over the last two or three years. But some of those are from like two years ago. And you forget that like email 32 is just like, this was news like three years ago. Why, why do I even still have to send here? It's so, like time for an oil check. It is. It's, it's time for an oil <laughs> check and a strategy check too, right? Because I want to check my strategy and make sure that, uh, you know, I'm actually, my sequences actually uh, fit my strategy and my objectives that, that I have now because I probably haven't touched them in a year and a half and my objectives probably changed. Right. And and some of that information can be, like you said, a little bit dated or maybe that verbiage has changed a little bit. So now is a good time of the year to go back and look at your emails from a viewer perspective and ask yourself, if I was receiving this email, would I enjoy it? And I, and I think that we're going to dive into a, a few different of those sequencing breakdowns, because what I liked about the article that you sent over is that it's crystal clear for a lot of the different breakdowns and a lot of the different types of emails mm -hmm. that you could be sending. That sets you up for success over a long period of time. It really does. And we'll talk a little bit about cold emails too, because there's some great automation software right now. You can't really do it in MailChimp, things like that, because you'll get kicked off really quickly. And, <laughs> and trust me, you will, because I have been. Oh, wow. uh, but there's some good, good cold email uh, type of sequencing out there as well, and kind of my philosophy on that. Uh, but, but let's talk about yesterday. Uh, you were all over Twitter yesterday talking about the Nickelodeon football game. Right? Yeah, the, it, the it Bears was, it and was... the Bears and the Saints. They played that on Nickelodeon. I, I checked out about a quarter of that, but it was really cool. 
I, I didn't have a chance to watch the live broadcast. What I, I logged on and I saw everybody was going crazy about the Nickelodeon broadcast. It was the first time this channel has ever done, you know, anything like this in this realm where they've broadcasted an NFL game. And so I'm going through all of the recaps and seeing because at first you kind of think, OK, well, Nickelodeon, it's just going to be, you know, maybe a different announcing team that is on their programming different from the the network that is hosting the game. And but when you start to see some of the breakdown, I thought it was really really brilliant how they tried to capture the attention of children in order to develop those fans sort of early on into the NFL fandom. And they did special things like they, they had slime going off in the end zones. Um, they had the, the broadcast team, which I thought was, was really brilliant. They broke down some of the gameplay for kids. And so basically one of the terminologies that they would use is they would say, okay, well, Hey, you know, that, that player Taysom Hill, he, he is essentially the best kid on the playground at recess. He's the guy that you want to pick first if you're going to be playing a game. So I thought that that was a really great messaging idea from the Nickelodeon team that it, it, no matter if the the kids that are watching know football or not, you're changing the terminology that you're using and you're using it to best fit the audience. I think too often, especially for, for people who work in freight and sales and things like that, that we're used to our own terminology, but maybe the people that we're trying to sell to doesn't know that terminology. And so I thought that was a great example of how you can change the way you typically talk about things so that your audience will understand it better. Yeah, exactly. You have the slime zone. You have square square pants uh, square pants out on on the field goals. I, I was getting messages from Dooner all day talking about it as well. So it was really cool. Uh, Dooner's here, you know, talking about that the, that that game needed it as much as oh, it needed Nickelodeon because it was a terrible game otherwise, and that, that's very <laughs> true as well. It really was. It was really bad. It was it, it, it was, was a horrible horror game. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there weren't too many good games on. I think that, you know, the Ravens and the Titans kind of came down to the wire a little bit. But other than that, it was kind of a, a blowout for a lot of these teams over the weekend, which, uh, I mean, goes to show it's it, any given Sunday or any given Saturday in this perspective. So, But it, I thought that it was really clever of what the NFL was trying to do, something a little bit different in order to capture mm -hmm. the kids' attention who are probably, you know, used to watching side-by-side -side maybe with dad or mom. But in this case, this broadcast is specifically built for them. Yeah, and I think it probably worked out really well for for the NFL and Nickelodeon as well. I mean, certainly. So James Cantero is here, and he's from Columbia, and looking for how he can get a job as a truck driver. He has many years of driving, and Dooner's here too. So if Dooner can help James out, that'd be great. <laughs> I don't really have uh, too good of uh, advice uh, on that. So I'll let, let Dooner do that, and, and that should be good. <laughs> Oh, well, there was also um, a good moment, too. I don't know if uh, you caught on to the train that was trending on Twitter that they started talking about all of their different favorite Nickelodeon shows. And, and I put out a little list, a very small list, but I got a lot of comments asking, well, what about this show? What about that show? So I think that there's still a lot of nostalgic feelings towards Nickelodeon, just the programming in and of itself. I don't really know how Nickelodeon holds up present day, but I know those 90s kids, if you watch any of those programs, the early 2000s and the 90s, those were some really quality programs. And I think Nickelodeon's kind of missing the boat a little bit by not promoting those older shows more to the audience that, that now has money and could spend money in those areas. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know what they're playing now. Uh, I, I'm a child of the 80s more than the 90s, but, you know, my, my nieces and nephews and, and, and things like that, uh, I, I watched a little bit in the 90s with them because they were the small children at, at the time. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, 80s, they didn't really have great programming. It wasn't until the 90s when they started doing their original programming uh, that really that they hit their stride. And I was, I was a little bit older mm -hmm. at that point. So I, 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 I you know, I have good feelings about Nickelodeon, but I, I didn't grow up watching it. It was just a really good example of, of how you can sort of bridge that gap between the mm -hmm. current audience that you have and trying to attract that younger audience, which can influence the purchases of the adult audience that's also watching. It, it definitely can. It, it definitely. Speaking of social media, what's the future of social media? You know, oh, gosh. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there right now. And what we were going to talk about this last week. Um, right before everything happened, it was really right before everything happened because I remember getting off the show and seeing, you know, seeing our Chris, one of our producers, ha had it up and, and running right, right at the beginning of it. But we're going to talk about using broad social media as, as a marketing tool or really niche social media sites and, and new things that are popping up. So uh, I think social media is uh, an industry in disruption right now, too, as well. Yeah, it, it's a lot of questions, a lot of debates around, you know, what should be allowed, what shouldn't be. Are these, you know, public platforms that should be controlled by, by you know, other entities like the government or should they remain to be private businesses that can pick and choose what rules they want to enforce and what rules they don't? Uh, it's It sort of just goes back to the philosophy is, is that if you're building and if you're promoting and if you're posting to these brands, you don't own your accounts. The president found out the tough way last week that you, and no matter what your profile is, how many followers you have, you are at risk of losing all of that audience reach capabilities at a moment's notice. So you better be protecting yourself by just not, you know, tweeting dumb things on the internet, or you could actually be posting a lot of those thought processes onto your own owned entities, which is your website and your email. Those are the only two digital assets that you're ever going to own the rest of that space, whether it's YouTube or Twitter, LinkedIn, it doesn't matter. You are playing on rented land. Yeah, you really are. You, you, everyone is, is playing on rented land based on algorithms, right? And it doesn't have to be as, as over the top as what we've seen over the last week, um, that they can change the algorithms at any time and you lose that distribution. And you know, I, I've been hearing for years and I've been hearing this for years that email marketing is dead. Email marketing is dead. Social media was taking over. But it, when you're looking at assets and, and distribution for your leads and your community, your followers, you own that email list. That is yours. And it's not going away. And in the ROI in email marketing, why it hasn't really grown Above where it was, you know, five years ago, it's it's staying very steady. You know, it's a money making machine if you use it right. And especially with collecting emails, if you're promoting yourself properly on different platforms, there was a scare a few months back where TikTok was rumored to be shut down by the U.S. Mm -hmm. government. And so it left a lot of creators wondering what steps that they should take next. And that is driving your audience to other platforms that maybe you have a little bit less risk of getting shut down or getting kicked off. Uh, but you still need to be funneling that traffic either to your website or to an email list, which, I mean, let's be honest, we've also seen, you know, web 
websites and apps get shut down over the past week too. So it's, it's one of those things where you really have to be focusing on your digital assets, making sure that you have backups of these assets. And so that if something drastic does happen, you know, maybe you get hacked, maybe somebody else seizes control of one of those assets that you have a way to an insurance policy, a way of getting those contacts back and letting them know where you'll be posting, uh, where your services have moved to all of that good stuff. But if you don't have an email list, you have no way of getting in touch with any of those people, any of that audience that you've spent years building up. And so take it as a lesson that TikTok almost got shut down a few months ago. The president himself got kicked off of, of, of a bunch of different sites, Shopify, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, you name it, he's been kicked off of it. And we've seen other apps too, that have been removed from their hosting services through Amazon. So it's one of those things where you really have to pay attention and make sure that you have certain insurance policies in place to protect yourself. Because it, while some of the, the pros of these platforms, I, I think is, is sort of, uh, it's not really talked about a lot because you hear so much negative. There are still a lot of pros when it comes to platforms like Twitter, platforms like Facebook, in order to do audience research and 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 have that direct connection with your audience, no matter what eventually happens to that platform. You're exactly right. I mean, there's a lot of pros to it, and it doesn't have to be drastic. You don't have to have a drastic change uh, of getting shut down. Just uh, minor tweaks in your algorithm. You, the, the, the reach that, that you can distribute your, your content and your posts out will diminish greatly just with a little change of the algorithm. Then you're spending months trying to, to figure out what that change was and, and re-experimenting with, with all of that. Uh, though those are risks, too, that, that aren't quite as drastic. But if you own an email list, you know, if you can get those followers or those people who are consuming your content um, online on, on social media into an email distribution list, then then you have a lot of ownership at that point, which is, I, I think, very important. Especially because you, you, one of the topics that you brought up was, came from business barista Alex Lieberman, and I believe yes. he's the CEO of Morning Brew. I, he's either the president or the CEO. He's very high up with Morning Brew. That, that, mm-hmm. And with the email newsletter that they send out every day, which is fantastic, but he had a list that was going on talking about the online skills that everybody should have, every professional should have, no matter their industry, function, or seniority. And going through this list, a lot of them make sense, but I, I, I was wondering, are any of these, do any of these stick out to you as not being as important or any items that you would like to see added to that list? There, there is something I really want to see added to this list. I, I think all of these are really important, you know, online writing, uh, writing in general, right? It's all about communication and being a great communicator, cold emailing, cold calling. I, I think you can lump both of those into together, but I, I think his list is, is, Specifically, no, it's not specifically online. So, writing, emailing, calling, those two, you know, prospecting, uh, public speaking, definitely. Uh, deck building, you know, I hate PowerPoints. So, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to, but, but you should be good at, at, at doing a great deck. And we did that with C for R uh, back a few months ago on Put That Coffee Down. And he's got a, a great formula for that. Uh, social media is networking. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Decision making, of course. One thing that I would add to this is math. Hmm. You got to be good at math. You got to be confident in math. Uh, you got to be a little bit confident in math, right? So it doesn't mean that you have to be a rocket scientist or a financial engineer, but you have to, to be able to talk numbers very smoothly and understand the concepts and be able to 
calculate when you need to. So I, I think communications and math um, are, are two, if you have those down, you know, writing, speaking, uh, just being a great communicator and have math skills, uh, it, it's going to be hard to be unemployed in your life. Yeah, because when, when you say math, I'll, I, I kind of tensed up a bit because I, <laughs> math has never been my forte. <laughs> I, I consider myself a creative. I consider myself a mm-hmm. writer. But, you know, we, we've sort of talked over the last few episodes about the importance of knowing what's driving revenue. And both of us having launched products in the past know that even though you can you can speak well online, you can you can write well and you can do all of these things well, if it's not driving revenue for you. And if you're not doing those basic calculations and, and basic math of, of what you're spending your money on and where it's coming in, then you're not going to be in business for very long. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was one thing that I would like to see added to this list is knowing what's driving revenue. Yes. No matter if you're, no matter what department you're working in, it, that knowing what's driving revenue and listening to your customers and, and that both of those items will set you up for success for the long run. Yeah, definitely. If you've ever watched Shark Tank and what the truck was on at noon, had someone who had just been aired on on Shark Tank um, uh, on, on the trophy store. And uh, that's not his business. I, I forget the name of his, his his business, but he was just on there. If you ever watch Shark Tank, man, they get into the numbers. What's your revenue? What's your, your customer acquisition cost? What's your, uh, you know, certainly bottom line, you know, your, your net, your gross, you know, all of those terms and being able to calculate that building a plan off those numbers and assuming those numbers uh, and and building out activity to support your sales goals is so important. Again, you don't have to be a mechanical engineer or industrial engineer math-wise. You just have to be able to understand numbers. And, and most of it's basic adding, subtracting, multiplying, maybe a couple algebra, you know, kind of formulas here and there. Uh, but <laughs> Algebra, you know, oh no. <laughs> I know, right? Excel will do it all for you. You just have to learn Excel. So maybe that that's another thing besides math skills, or maybe that's in lieu of math skills, Excel skills. You mm. got to be good at Excel. Yes, I, I would definitely I, I would co-sign that because knowing Excel, especially when I learned the the, the capabilities of doing VLOOKUP, that saved yeah. so much time, and it actually helped with some of my email marketing campaigns that that I did mm-hmm. for uh, a three PL. So it's one of those things that we can get into later on. Uh, but I, I definitely think that that knowing what's driving revenue and having some of those I, I don't want to say basic math skills, but maybe like an intermediate level mm-hmm. math skill, I, I, I think would help out a ton. Uh, another one that I wanted to see added to this list was also, especially after last week, empathy and listening. I think as marketers and especially it, it that's one of the first things when when crisis hits is one of the first things that that people in marketing do is they pause all of their social media messaging. They pause all of their posts because they don't want to come across as insensitive. And I think that as marketers and, and people who are on social media, I think it's more important to know when not to post. And so after last week, that should be a good lesson for a lot of people that unless you're very knowledgeable and you feel very passionate on the subject, just take a step back, allow people to breathe, allow people to breathe in an online space. Because if you say something and it lands incorrectly, you're still responsible for how it lands. And so having that extra level of caution and being able to to establish empathy and establish, okay, this is a listening phase right now or a listening time period, then I, I think that that is also a really important lesson to know too. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, and the trophy store is Trophy Smack. Trophy Smack, trophy the, Smack. The, the founder was on what the truck just just uh, at noon. So you can watch that on demand, download oh, that's Great cool. Cat. Uh, but he aired, uh, I, I think, last Friday on, on Shark Tank. I, di- I didn't get a chance to, to see the episode, unfortunately, but I, I'm going to go on demand and, and watch that episode of, of Shark Tank as well. But you're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Emotional intelligence, knowing when to um, when to listen and when to speak. And sometimes you don't always have to share what you're thinking with the world. Right. You do right? not you have, have to have a take on everything. Yeah, you don't. You don't. But if you want to take a bold position, you got to think about it in your marketing, your sales term, your brand personality. And, you know, maybe you do. Maybe you do strike at that. You know, you saw saw a few uh, few brands and companies uh, over the last few days, PGA being one of those. Who are who are doing that? You know, they're, 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 they are taking a position uh, in, in everything. So we'll probably see a lot of that going forward over the next uh, at least week or so of of that waterfall effect. But yeah, mm-hmm. you, you have to, to be really uh, careful about your, your speech in times like this and, and kind of what you put out there. Because again, just because you're thinking it doesn't mean the whole world needs to know it. Right. And and if you're thinking of it, you need to be able to think through that thought process from a variety mm-hmm. of different standpoints. And I think that that's also another one that I would add to this list is critical thinking. And we don't teach critical thinking enough to not just the mass population, but also to children to be able to dissect of, of what is actual news, what isn't news, where you need to fact check mm-hmm. yourself, where you can fact check other people in your life. It's just it's an all around important lesson to to recognize the moments when you need to take a step back and allow everybody else to be the emotional outlet. And then you can take in that information and better form and, and, and use that time to, to better form your opinion of what's going on in the world. Yeah. And it goes into the decision-making. You need that critical thinking to, to mm-hmm. do the decision-making. And one important thing, uh, no matter no matter what's happening in the world on decision-making is that don't do analysis by paralysis. That's the worst mm. thing that you can do. You can't overthink things, even though you need to do it critically, but you can't sit around and, and wait for months and years and decades sometimes uh, trying to define the, the right time or if this decision is a good one or a bad one. None of us will ever have perfect information. You should never, never operate on perfect information. You know, use your critical thinking skills to, to get enough information to make a decision. Sometimes you're going to be right. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. But, Absolutely. you know, those wrong decisions are some of the, the greatest lessons in life. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Great. Um, let's, uh, so January 28th, which is a week from this Thursday, I think. I, I keep on maybe two weeks from this Thursday. I, I keep on moving this conference <laughs> up a week. I think it's because I'm so excited for it and I'm ready for it, but FreightWave is doing a virtual event. It's the Sales and Marketing Conference. And we have some speakers lined up talking about Morning Brew. Uh, the, the the person who runs their Twitter account, their official tw- Twitter account, Toby Howe, he'll be speaking with Dooner. Uh, again, he was a, he was on Put That Coffee Down uh, about three months ago, four months ago, where we talked about social selling. He's coming back, and, and Dooner and, and Toby are, are going to do another uh, session on that. That's cool. Yeah, it is very cool. It's a great event. Um, you know, keynotes, we have Andrew Leto, who's the founder of Global Trans. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
very successful freight brokerage that he started from from with, with an unemployment check is oh wow is what he's, yeah unemployment check in his basement or bedroom with a laptop and uh, it's a very interesting story uh, we also have John Polizzi who is an, an author motivational speaker on on sales and, and marketing uh, Charlie Dehoney is going to be talking about scaling up and, and growing a freight brokerage uh, Rob Hatchett talking about marketing uh, for for carriers marketing drivers and kind of the messaging mm. it's a very competitive industry I think we talked about that a little bit <laughs> last week you know those huge advertising budgets that that large fleets have to, to go out and recruit drivers so uh, it's, it's going to be a great uh, great conference you have a you know you, you have a segment on on marketing on that as well so that's January 28th you January 28th I, I can't wait. It's going to be yeah. one of those events where it, you're going to get a lot of data. You're going to get a lot of impact. And it's it, for me, I'm a marketing and, and, and sales nerd. So I'm looking forward to, to diving in. And I think that, you know, the, the angle of where we're going with, with our topic is talking about the good marketing that you see in the logistics space and inspiration that you can take from outsiders in the space. So we've kind of touched on that in a few of the episodes here on Put That Coffee mm-hmm. Down. Uh, but I'm excited to, to dive into that a little bit more so we can start, you know, using some, we can start borrowing some playbook activity from other top-notch marketers and, and bring that into our own playbook. Definitely. And and you know what? If you're a tech company, you want to show off your demo to a, a huge group of sales and marketing people from logistics, you know, from, from 3PLs, from freight brokers, from uh, trucking companies, from the whole industry, supply chain, you know, just contact me, LinkedIn, DM me. Uh, you can also send me an email at khill, K-H-I-L-L at freightwaves.com to learn more about those opportunities. So yeah, excited for that. January 28th. It's going to be a fun one. It is definitely going to be a fun one. <laughs> so Blythe, did you have uh, another marketing tip or do you want to jump right into the, the emails? We can jump right into the emails because I'm I'm a little excited okay. to to see. Uh, I I want to hear more about why you got kicked off of Mailchimp, <laughs> and then I also want to dive into some of these different sequences, uh, specifically with the six month sequence that that you have. I think a lot of a lot of viewers will find some value in in some of our real world experiences and what not to do and what to do. Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly, well, let's start off with one lesson on what not to do, and <laughs> and that is if you buy a lead list or, or get a lead list and they're cold leads that they're not opted in, right? So let, let's take take a step back and and say there's there's two types of email campaigns, right? There's cold cold leads, right? Just like your cold calling, you don't know who this person is, you have very minimal contact with them, and you are cold calling. You're introducing yourself, right? which uh, in the email world, some people call spam. I'm not one of those people, but some people will call it spam. And um, and you blast that out, right? And there's there's laws that, you know, the, the CAN-SPAM Act or the ANCAM-SPAM Act, whatever it's called, uh, that you have to be very, very careful about. Um, so you have to have unsubscribe links, things like that. Then you have a lot of the email service providers or ESPs, MailChimp being one of the most popular ones uh, for, for small business owners. And that is opted in. So if you go to a demo, if you download a sample, if you sign up for a newsletter, that's an opt-in. So then you have permission to send out emails. Of course, you have to have unsubscribes on those. And that's where you grow your email list. And the, the churn that comes from people unsubscribing, maybe because you over-email them or you don't. Usually it's not because you're over-emailing them. You're not showing enough value. That's, that's what it really is. So 
so MailChimp has very tight rules based on the laws. Like if you dump in cold leads into that and you start emailing through MailChimp, they will kick you off. I mean, they'll do it within minutes. Oh, wow. Um, so I've done email campaigns out there and been kicked off within within the hour. Within the hour <laughs> because I violated their terms and conditions. I know a lot of other people who have done the same thing. Uh, so it's, it's pretty pretty common and it's a, it's a good learning uh, it's, it's a very good learning experience. Um, do but then you, you have a, a lot of really, I'm sorry? Do, do they give you a breakdown of, of when you're getting kicked off? Like this is the reason why we're kicking you off. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get back on? So so basically I got back on because I wasn't using my domain. I was using mm-hmm. something else. I, I was actually, you know, I was, I have my, my carrier list I've always had and I've never cold emailed out of there, right? I, I was I had an email marketing client that I, I told them that this is probably going to happen, and they're like, "No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like, this is probably going to happen." And <laughs> I sent it out, and it happened within you know thirty minutes. Thirty minutes, we got kicked. Oh off. wow! So we had to go use another domain, and you know, and then that's when I went out and shopped around for a good cold emailing type of of, of programs. Which are, are fine, right? You send those out, and you can do the automating and the sequencing and the seven step, seven step, you know, communication programs and things. So, so there you have the cold email and what I call warmly email or your email list. And when I talk about my email list, I'm always talking about my opt-ins, people mm-hmm. who have opted in that I sent through um, Mailchimp. And you know, if you go in and sign up on my website or whatever, you, you you're automatically in that funnel of I, I think I have 36 emails that I have set up, done over time, and you can just automate those every two days. Every two days at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., depending on when you want to send that out, it just automatically goes. And you set it and forget it, and it's it's really great. Yeah, that that's I haven't set up one of those. I have a, a, a couple different series that that I run on Mailchimp, and for me, the way I got started with them is that you know I, I had worked for a few different transportation logistics companies, so I had an email list already built up. But I was worried about getting kicked off of Mailchimp because I had heard stories that they will basically blacklist your domain, they will send mm-hmm. all of your emails directly to spam, and then that hurts your future outreach efforts. And so if your emails are just ending up in spam each time, you've probably been reported too many times as a spam email. And so for me, what I did, the route I took is I had about 10 years worth of emails. And I know that a lot of them are no longer valid. Those people have, some people have probably moved on. They have other jobs. So what I did is I went to Fiverr, hired a freelancer for like 50 bucks and they scanned all of the emails in my database. It was like more than 25,000 emails, but they scanned all of them. And I ended up with about 12,000 really good emails that were still active, um, that were still valid. And so before I started reintroducing myself to my email list that I had already built up, it was one of those things where I feel like that little bit of extra money that I spent in the beginning really helped those delivery rates because then it was about a week of sending out a cold email saying, this is what you're going to get from me. This is you know who I am just as a reminder. You signed up for my email list a while back. This is what you can expect from me in the future. And so it allowed those people on that list to choose to re-engage, to double opt-in, mm-hmm. which a lot of email service providers see it as better 
better, you have a better list if you have a double opt-in. So I wanted to make sure that I got that double opt-in for the email list. And then from there, I could start setting up my different campaigns. Uh, one of them, I have an onboarding campaign. I also have a purchase trigger. So anytime someone purchases something off my site, they get a few different emails, sort of best of content. Um, and then I also have an automatic RSS campaign. So anytime that I publish something new to my blog and I select a category of featured on the website, that email goes out at 7 a.m. the next day. Um, so that's probably my favorite email to send out, a little automation hack for, for anybody mm -hmm. out there. But once you program your template and once you set up your blog post correctly where that technology is talking correctly to MailChimp's technology and it's all formatted and it looks pretty in a variety of different devices. That's my favorite email to send out because I know that they're the person who's opening it is getting value. Hopefully they're, they're, they're perceiving it as valuable. Yeah. That is always the hope, right? That that is valuable. Uh, but that's, that's a very, <laughs> I know that's a very responsible way to do things. Black. It really is. That is very responsible. Out in the wild, wild west, when you don't know That's, what you're doing. I, my next question was going to be, I have worked with some brokers that they buy email lists off the internet, and I know those are sketchy emails. So if I was redoing it, I would definitely go back to Fiverr and have them rescan all of these emails before we ever sent them from a company domain because... Uh, I mean, as as we all yeah. know, if your email gets shut down and you're a broker, you're you're a carrier, you're essentially out of business. So it is, you know, we're joking about it, but it's also something that you want to take very seriously too. That you know, however you secure those emails is your own business. Just make sure that you are providing value and those emails are legit and they're still active because otherwise it's going to hurt you anyways. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to run that. And that, that's something else I found out uh, very quickly when Gmail shut me down a couple of times uh, or suspended me just, just for like 24 hours. Um, oh, is that, that they do have sending limits. I, I know, right? <laughs> so they do have sending limits. And yeah, do not do not cleanse lips, email lips, especially cold emails. Do not cleanse those from your company domain because exactly what you said. It is exactly what you will get penalized. Uh, it'll end up uh, on your SEO. It'll end up on your email deliverability, all of that. It will end up. So what you do is you go get another domain, get another domain. And I used to do this out of Microsoft Outlook and I, I had a program. So I, I, I tried buying the lists and things and, and they're, they're very problematic and they're, they're horrible. Uh, but I got a program which was called eGrabber. You could go on LinkedIn. Uh, they, they would pull a search up to about 500 a day because that's where you're maxed out at um, from, from LinkedIn itself. So you, it would take all these profiles, you know, maybe freight brokers, right? Put it in there in a spreadsheet form. And then you hit another button and there's a bot that crawled the internet and looked or guessed at the company email addresses. And it, about 75, 70 percent of the time it worked, about 30 percent would bounce. Uh, but this is about, about as good as you can do with Hunter.io or any of these other online tools where you can kind of guess at the the the, the format of the, the email addresses. But I could I could set that up and run in the background. I'd get 500 new emails uh, a day, you know, run them through. Uh, Microsoft Outlook and another domain and send out a, a test email kind of, uh, or my initial email, my, my, my first email in my sequence. And then I would take the ones that didn't bounce and I'd load them up into uh, another program that I could set up an automated sequence coming out of, out of uh, Gmail, my, my Gmail, my actual corporate 
email account. So that's that's how I did it. It's probably somewhat similar to to what your 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 freelancer probably did, but I, I set up a whole system uh, of doing this. And there's another thing that you can use: zero bounce, which Duner just said. Uh, and and we, we've mentioned zero bounce on here a couple times, where you can just upload the list and it'll tell you which ones are deliverable and which ones aren't. Oh my gosh, y'all are out here hustling these email students. <laughs> You're gonna find those emails. <laughs> I, you know, I, I found out very quickly that that I, I can't make 500, you know, cold calls a day. Yeah, you know, it, it, I can't make 50 cold calls to. a day. But you know what? I can send out. Calls. Yeah, I can send out 5,000 emails a day. True. You know? Very true. Why, why not? It, for me, it was more about affecting my billing. I, I didn't want to be paying for sending, you know, 30,000 emails if there's only 12,000 emails that are actually active. Yeah. So that was mm-hmm. more about like being cheap on the long run than having, you know, that, that long-term investment thinking of, of just having those programs running in the background and, and trying to send them and it, it, you're giving me some ideas that I need to write down. <laughs> I'm going to have to go out here and, and hustle these email streets like you guys are doing. Because <laughs> I'm going to go sign up in the footer of my website. <laughs> I, I know. Right? Well, and I was, I was doing all these cold emails to drive them to download a sample or a demo. And you had to put in your email address. And that's where I captured. Hmm. And then they'd go over to MailChimp. And then my philosophy of MailChimp was much different than the cold emails, right? There's the first part of the cell. And then once they're in my funnel in MailChimp, and then that's when I, you know, we, we start doing these sequencing. And it's something that you need to know your objective. If you're, if you're going to have an email list, an opt-in email list, why? I mean, what's your first objective? You know, of course, it's probably to sell. But is this more nurturing? Is it more, you know, what exactly is your goal, your strategy for this? And I think that you bring up a great point is giving the audience that option and the expectations up front and letting them decide how often they want to be contacted. Because even though, you know, a company like like a Morning Brew, where they have so many different emails mm-hmm. and they're all really valuable, there's still sometimes when I'm like, this is too much. I'm, I'm getting four emails from this company in a day and I have to scale it back. So I'm going to prioritize which emails that I want to get because I really do genuinely want to sit down and read the information that they send me. But at the same time, I don't want it to overwhelm my inbox where I'm not getting the work I still need to get done. So I love that they give you those different options of what you want to hear from them and how often that you want to hear. And I, and I think that it's important for anybody out there that if you're thinking about starting up an email list, that you have different options for your audience and, and you remain committed to those different options. And you're only sending messages of value to that audience because one thing that I think is missing from a lot of companies, especially in logistics, is not segmenting your emails. I had an instance where there was a big time carrier that sent me an email, invited me to an event. And I did everything that they wanted me to do. I opened the email. I read what they were they were sending me. I took action on registering for this event. And then the next day, they reached out and said, we're sorry, we sent this to you by mistake. We're resending the, in- the invite <laughs> invitation. And I was like, well, what the hell? Why did you send it to me in the first place? And so I think that having, it, it left a sour taste in my mouth for this particular company. And then a month later, 
they sent the same email to me. So they still hadn't segmented their email. So I, I think that it's also very important for a lot of companies out there that if you are going to be sending your emails, make sure that you're segmenting them properly. And if you're going to invite people to your event, make sure that you're sending it to the people you want to invite. Because otherwise, you're going to have to go through that awkward stage of uninviting people, which I did not appreciate. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't appreciate that too. Segmenting is very hard and it's something you don't really think about when you start out. You're just thinking about building right. a list, you know, and then all of a sudden you you have a list, you have a good list and you're like, well, I, I should have segmented this from the, from the beginning, but I think that's what you find in, in just about every company. Rhonda, thank you for, for viewing Rhonda's on, on the board here. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, it's one of those things that you don't even think about it until the, the problem arises. You know, this, this not even on your radar. Those are good problems to have. Not even on your radar whenever you're starting out. It's just, you know, how do I get a list built? And then comes the sequencing and the segmentation and all the other issues that, that pop up once you're successful at it. And I think that MailChimp has a really great example or a really great workflow of how you can segment your emails after you've sent a, maybe a dozen or so of them. Mm -hmm. Your audience will tell you in the analytics of what they like and what they don't like. So for example, I can go into MailChimp right now and I can choose from the my entire email list. I can pick the people that have opened up the last five emails that I've sent. That's telling me that those users are pretty engaged with my email list. So if they're already engaged, I want to send them something else that maybe I think that they'll like. It's looking for those those common trends, those, those similarities of, of maybe why those certain people opened up the last five emails. Were there any synergies there that you can replicate again and send it to them again? Uh, another really great tool that MailChimp has just announced, and I haven't had it. I played around with it a little bit, but I haven't built any actual sequences in it yet. But they have conditional formatting where if you send mm. out an email and somebody opens it or somebody doesn't open it, then you can determine the action of the next step from for that user to take or what MailChimp will send them. So if you have a certain sequence in place, say it's maybe five emails, if they didn't open the first one, they're going to resend that first one. If they opened up the first one and they liked it, if they clicked on something, then they're going to get this next email. And it's all mm -hmm. customizable where you can customize each one of those steps depending on the action that the user took. So if they're showing engagement, if they're showing that they're interested in what you're sending to them, then you can sort of adjust your message on the fly into a custom my sequence specifically for that user because let's be honest a lot of people want customization when it comes to their marketing messages and and those little things i believe go a long way in addition to creating some of the different sequences that that we have listed on on our sheet which is some you know mm -hmm. the welcome sequence the training sequence uh purchase reminders which work really well for me you know that you forgot something in your cart type emails those work really yeah, yeah. well on me yeah, those are. Those are and, and certainly if you have an e-commerce site, then you have to have that. You know, you, you missed this, or you left this. Uh, this is what you've been looking at. And, you know, there's there's a couple brands out there that if, if I go on and look at anything, there's they're following up with me. I don't even have to put it in the court. They're, they're already following up. And I'm just like, how do they know so much? Of course, I was on the <laughs> website. So, so, so <laughs> that, that was that. Um, so email sequencing strategies, and, and we, we talk about MailChimp, but there's a lot of other, there's Constant Contact, Salesforce. I mean, everyone everyone has kind of like that, that opt-in email service to go out. 
you know, it's all about the analytics. Uh, you, you're describing if then that if, if this, then that yes. type of, of mapping out actions and follow-ups based on those actions. That can be a huge rabbit hole to, to, to go down in to, to, to really overcomplicate things. So I, I, I haven't played around with it too much, a, a little bit, and I've been down those rabbit holes. Uh, but, but as everything else in business and life and, and everything in general, keep it simple. Just, right. just keep it simple. Um, so I'm going to name off the, first. I'm sorry. I said, I was going to say, start with one campaign first, one autoresponder, yeah. maybe a welcome series. Um, what could really help with building out your, your email sequences is just post-its. Take a post-it and take five or six of them and write down on each post-it, consider that your email that you're going to send mm-hmm. out and what information you're going to include in it. Also do a lot of testing. You can test between sending plain text emails versus HTML emails. So the HTML emails are the ones that have pictures and images and GIFs mm-hmm. and things like that. Makes it really fun. But the problem with those type of emails is that a lot of companies will automatically block any of those images and where they're coming from. So some companies will have a higher success rate with just sending plain text emails that have just one link in the email. And and so you can do these kinds of testing in addition to mapping out, but you have to map out your email of why you're sending it first. And then you can go from there and sort of get the data and see what's working well. What isn't working well? Are you getting mm-hmm. a ton of unsubscribes? Are you getting a ton of spam complaints? You can check on, on various different tools. If somebody unsubscribed, why did they unsubscribe? They're, they'll usually be asked that question when they unsubscribe. So using this initial data can help you build out those campaigns in the future. Yeah, you brought up two very good points there, um, and one of those is is, is the mapping feature, um, but but also HTML versus plain text, right? And and AB doing AB testing off that. So so number one, do you do a lot of AB testing? I will do headline testing, and then I will also take advantage of, of – I know we mentioned MailChimp a ton in this, in this episode, but they have a really great app that if you have sent out a campaign that day and people haven't opened it, within 24 hours, just a click of a button, you can check that box, and it will that campaign will automatically resend to everybody that didn't open the email. And that's one of my favorite features. So I like to do a little bit of testing with that, but then AB testing, you can AB test your headline and then you can also AB test the format of your emails and the time of of day that you send it. I think that Mm -hmm. that matters a lot too, where using a, a feature called time warp will send out an email that sends it to that particular time zone at the time you want it. So for one of my emails, I have it sent out that it goes out at 7am, but that's Eastern standard time. And I wish there was a way that I could program it to send it out at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to all, or not Eastern Standard Time, but 7 a.m. in all the different Mm -hmm. time zones. But that currently isn't a feature available unless you're doing a specific campaign. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, So, so AB, you know, I experiment around, you know, you know, best time of day, best headline, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I, I never feel like I have a big enough email list to, to really properly do an A-B testing. I mean, how many, how many people do you need in your email list to do a proper, you know, A-B testing where you're segmenting out, you send it to half and then the other to half and find out what works best? 
Yes, essentially that that's exactly what you're doing. And you want to make sure that when you start testing, you're only testing one thing at a time. So you can get mm-hmm. a really good feel of what's going to work in the future. If you're testing two or three different things in, in one email, it's not going to give you a conclusive result. So start slow, start by building the campaign, why you want to build this campaign, what use are you going to provide to the user? What call to action do you want them to eventually take? Once you map that out and what the the messages are going to actually say, then you can start getting into the testing of, of the A-B testing of what you're referring to, where you can test the subject lines. You can test if HTML emails, if plain text emails work best. Uh, you can start to, to really see what your audience is interacting with the most. And then you can also give them the option to opt into an HTML-based email or a plain text email. And you can do both. And it, it doesn't take that much more time to set up those different parameters. And then from there, you can do further testing, such as time of day, uh, day of the week, things like that. Okay. No, it makes perfect sense. Now, HTML versus just plain text, right? Like, like it's coming directly from you, or it is a formal marketing email. I've always found much more success doing the plain text, you know, slimming it down, very minimal, uh, making it look more and more like it's just coming directly from me. I, a lot of my, my sequencing that I do automatically, I have some graphics in there. And that's one of the things that, that I really need to reevaluate and, and, and slim that down a little bit more to where it is. Um, it's, it, it, it doesn't get blocked as much, you know, on the, the picture side uh, or the image side and, and just really slim it down because that's where I've always found the most success. I don't know why my sequency has too many graphics on there besides charts and, and really good information that I, I send out. I think because it looks good. We're building it as almost like a blog post and it looks Mm -hmm. really good while you're building it in MailChimp. But if you're not testing that email before you actually send it, it could arrive in a user's inbox and look drastically different than what it looks to you in MailChimp or or any other email service provider. So you really have to do that testing and, and make sure that you're not adding too much to the email itself because like I said, there, there are so many companies are scared of getting hacked or scared of, you know, an email spoofing and, and somebody clicking on, you know, the wrong link in an email and then their server goes down. So it's one of, it's a very serious thing that, that companies have to take a, a almost a forward thinking approach to it where they're going to forsake you getting an entertaining email with a bunch of different awesome graphics in it. They're going to get rid of that in favor of protecting their infrastructure IT wise. Um, that's just a sad reality for a, what, you know, a lot of marketers yeah. and salespeople have to sort of deal with, but there are ways that you can play to it to your advantage. You can send that plain text email and it says with a link, click here to read the full post or to watch the video. And then they're clicking that link and then they're going to your website and then getting that full experience. So that's another little, little bit of an option. Uh, but if you're giving the option to that user ahead of time, maybe they want to read your email on their personal email and not their work email. But if you're giving that option to the user, then it, it really, it's only good things can come from it. It's just going to create a little bit more of, of heavy lifting on your side initially. It, it, it really does. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what is your main objective on your email sequencing right now? Is it, and we have like these strategies here that I'll post this article out with the show the, the welcome sequence, the training sequence, the purchase reminders, re engagement, upsell, evangelist, 
nurturing, onboarding, and transactional? Which one are you mostly mostly focused on now, and especially in 2021? Uh, for me, it's definitely nurturing. I do, admittedly, I have to revamp my welcome series. I definitely want to have separate engagement series based off of how somebody's interacting with my brand. Uh, but then the nurturing series, so the featured blog post is something that I'm really passionate about because it's something that I can automate to an extent. So let's say if I create a new video, I upload that video to YouTube. I have a tool in place that then syncs that direct video to my my website. And then from the website, I can choose if I want to send that video to the audience or send that podcast to the audience. And I can just check a little box on that blog post back end. And then that's an email that's going out to the audience the next day. So that's letting them know, hey, here's the latest content that I've been you know, talking about and, and discussing. Hopefully they find value in it. And then that is the, the nurturing campaign that keeps me on top of mind. I like to send these emails first thing in the morning. I don't want to be competing with someone's attention around lunchtime, around, you know, just mid morning where people are usually pretty swamped or really set in their workday by then. I want it to be at top of mind first thing in the morning when they get into the office or the first thing when they're sitting down in their home office, I want them to be able to sit down at the computer and enjoy the email that I'm sending out to them. Yeah, I've, I've seen the same thing. And that's the reason why um, most of my emails are before the workday starts or after it finishes, you know, maybe yes. six o'clock local time, you know, just, just right after, not, you know, midnight, but 6 p.m. Because I, I know with me, I, I'm, I'm, I, I pay more attention and, and read it more thoroughly, you know, unless I come in like at six o'clock at night or 7 a.m. in the morning um, before the deluge of emails and, and, and messages during the, the middle of the day where I have to, um, I have to, to, to focus and really partial out my time. Right. I, I can't I can't spend a lot of time on a marketing email at like right now. Right. We're, we're on live. So. Right. <laughs> so those that come in right now probably won't even get looked at until, you know, later on in the night, unless it's urgent. If it's not urgent, it's not going to get much attention. But if you send me an email at six o'clock, you know, seven o'clock, um, it'll probably get uh, almost all my time and, and focus. I'll really look at it and try to decipher it. So uh, those are really good, good tips on, on that. Uh, same here, you know, nurturing. I, I'm really focused on nurturing and I'm going to go in in the next couple of weeks and, and revamp my sequence because that's one of the things, you know, uh, I have a, a probably a, a few emails on there that are a little bit outdated. I need to switch those out. Um, I, I need to, to think about the order again. And, and go from there. So it's, it's something that you can automate, but you still have to, to maintain, you have to keep your eye on and uh, always look at the results and, and those metrics. Now, when I was working in an, in an office full time with a logistics company, they were sending out a lot of available load emails. Is, is that mm -hmm. still, do you know if that's still a thing? What are the, I guess, the, the majority of emails that, that brokers and salespeople are sending out regularly? So they send out, so on the marketing side, they'll send out newsletters usually and it might be monthly newsletters or weekly newsletters. And sometimes they don't really have discipline on the, the customer side. On the carrier side, it is daily or twice daily or whenever they get a load, you know, they'll, they'll blast carriers trying to, 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 to say here are the available loads or, you know, if you're a carrier, here are the available equipment. products. 
yeah, available equipment. So you see that quite a bit as well. Uh, again, you know, spam, spam laws, can spam is mm-hmm. is definitely applicable to that. So if if you're sending uh, email blasts, if you're a freight broker sending an email blast out uh, for available loads uh, to carriers and they ask to be removed and you don't do that, uh, it can be problematic. Yeah. And, and when you have different brokers emailing, you know, on their own, blasting that out, you if you'll start getting your 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 um your domain right because everyone's everyone's under the same email domain in, in a freight broker. And I, I've heard that from many many different freight brokers that they got hit with being spammers because mm-hmm. every you know every broker's sending out fifty emails to to fifty different carriers to cover a load, and I, it, so the person <laughs> sitting next to them the next day is doing the same thing, and all of a sudden you're, you're getting marked with spam a lot of times, and so. And there's been cases where where they've been suspended even. I'm just I'm smiling ear to ear right now because I said this so many times at my previous <laughs> companies that you guys are going to get in trouble for sending out mm-hmm. these emails to people who cannot unsubscribe. But I do think that now uh, there are some TMS tools that allow for email marketing automation. I'm not exactly sure of the extent of those features that offer. So maybe somebody that that has a little bit more familiarity can can clarify that in, in the comments of what capabilities different TMS systems have. Uh, but I That was the bane of my existence was getting brokers to start using an email tool like MailChimp, like Salesforce, like HubSpot, different tools that allow your users to be able to be placed in sequences and automatic emails and give them the ability to unsubscribe. Because if you don't have Mm -hmm. that ability, you're already breaking some of the ICANN laws. You you definitely are. You're you're definitely, you're breaking those laws. And it's just very important to, to, to realize that these things can happen. You can get suspended. Your freight brokers can get suspended if, you, if you're saying that. So it's, it's good to have some kind of uh, some some kind of plan for it. TMS is so there's there's other places that have kind of automated that. Now you, you better make sure that they're following the laws too, right? Because it's still your responsibility no matter what, right? It's Absolutely. still if it's coming from your email domain, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You better you better double, triple check that because ultimately it's going to be your responsibility to make sure that you're following the law, even though you might have a platform and a TMS or another another software pl- provider that allows you to really blast out emails. It's still up to you to have that unsubscribe and make sure all of that is is really in there. Um, we have a couple minutes left. Let's give away a book. Um, we'll do the power questions behind me. Uh, in the wide shot, you can see it, the orange book kind of in the middle. Um, so the 337 power questions that I had to ask um, prospects and, and basically any sales conversation you have. So a number between one and 117. 117. Let's give it to 117 was the last person on the list. We were up in the, the, the top of the list uh, earlier. And now Yvonne Vasquez. So Yvonne nice. Vasquez. Uh, you win this book, so I'll tag you in the, the post after the show and and send this out. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, uh, any last words on emails and kind of sequencing your strategies, your thoughts? 
I would start but, slow, definitely use post-its in order to map out your email campaigns of what you're going to be building and what you're going to be sending. There's definitely some some synergies technology-wise that you can make between your email service provider and your you know available load list equipment, things like that.